Welcome to Purdue Crop Chat, a regular podcast from Hoosier Ag Today and the Purdue University Extension Service, featuring Purdue Extension soybean specialist, Dr. Sean Castile, and Extension corn specialist, Dr. Dan Quinn. On this episode, Sean and Dan welcome Dr. Chad Lee, Extension Grain Crops agronomist from the University of Kentucky, and Indiana farmer Mike Beard from Frankfurt. It's March, so time to get ready for planting a crop. The idea of planting soybeans earlier, that's been one that we've been pushing for years. Uh, I'm not saying that's uh, ultra early, but then that, that follow-up question is, which maturity group do you plant? Farmers up in northern Indiana, they're even trying, you know, early 90-day you mm-hmm. know, hybrids to try and catch some of that and, and getting really good yields out of it, too. This podcast is made possible by the Indiana Corn Marketing Council and Indiana Soybean Alliance. Your Indiana corn and soybean checkoff investments yesterday are paying off today. New research, new uses, demand creation, bringing dollars back to the farm. Check it out at yourcheckoff.org. Now your host for Purdue Crop Chat, who's your ag today's Eric Pfeiffer. Welcome into the Purdue Crop Chat podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, and uh, we're doing this podcast today. You won't hear it for a little while after this, but Commodity Classic is happening right now in New Orleans. And uh, we've got just a ton of farmers out here. Over 7,000 farmers made the trip to New Orleans for Commodity Classic this year. A lot of things happening. We're out here on the trade show floor, kind of right out in the thick of it. And uh, I've got the stars of the show. Uh, we, we live like 15 minutes away from each other, but we had to come all the way to the, the Big Easy. I think you guys are starting to like uh, avoid me in Lafayette, the greater Lafayette area. So... I had to chase you all the way down here. Uh, Sean Castile is here, Extension Soybean Specialist. Hello, Sean. Howdy, Eric. Dan Quinn, Extension Corn Specialist. Hey, Dan. Hey, Eric. And uh, again, we're we're not we're not going to go through a bunch of numbers today. We know where we where we finished up for last year. Record corn, record soybean. We're we're good to go. Pe- people are done with that now. Now we're looking ahead, <laughs> right? Like planting season is like here. Um, yep. It's 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 yep. right around the corner. So we're going to touch on that a little bit today, but. Uh, Dan, while we were down here, uh, we had kind of access to really just about any agronomist we wanted, right? I mean, they're they're like all here in, in New Orleans. They all turned us down, though, but one <laughs> one guy. We 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 tr- we even tried to get rid of Sean. We couldn't we, we couldn't pawn him off on someone else to get somebody, but we tried to upgrade, and it just yeah. didn't work. Uh, but you brought a special guest on today. Yeah. Yeah, so I want to introduce uh, Dr. Chad Lee, who's uh, the Extension Green Crops Agronomist um, from the University of Kentucky. So for those that don't know, uh, Chad was my Ph.D. Ad- advisor um, during grad school, so I do tell folks, you know, if they dislike what I have to say, um, direct their phone calls to him uh, <laughs> because he did train me um, as well. But, yeah, we're very, very fortunate to, to have Chad. And, you know, we always we kind of joke, too, you know, a lot of farmers in, in southern Indiana, they really pay attention to what's going on in Kentucky. And, you know, they had a really good year this year. Um, so we're, we're really fortunate to have Chad on the show today. Chad, I'm, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the year in Kentucky. Sounds like you know. Sure. Again, I just mentioned in Indiana, record corn, record soybeans. How did things look down your way? Pretty good, it sounds. Yeah, we were record as well in all three of our crops. Uh, corn was 192, which just is an amazing number for given how shallow our soils are. Soybeans were 55, and that's 30 percent or so of those acres are double crop that get counted into that. So that's great. And then the wheat averaged 84 for us and so you put all three of those together typically for the farms that that grow all three crops in two years some phenomenal yields at a time when prices were pretty strong as well 
it's a it was a perfect storm of events. Mm -hmm. So Chad, what I mean, what do you think it was really playing into that for you guys? Uh, and then in comparison, you're giving us a hard time. You're nipping at our heels quite literally on the yield level and location. But what played in that for you guys? Well, like I said, we've got we got half as much soil and almost as much yield as you all. So. Maybe I should ask the question the other way. What are you all doing? <laughs> <laughs> the, the gloves have been taken off. All right, we'll kick them to the curb now. <laughs> I really think for us, we just don't, we don't have the buzz you have. And, you know, we usually are within two weeks of just running out of water in our situation. And so we had very timely rainfall events all throughout the year. We were a little bit, a little bit cooler than normal, not a lot but it extended our seed fill mm -hmm. really for all yeah. three crops. And sure. usually, usually you, you, you grow all three crops because you expect one to do better than the others. Mm. And so you're, you're trying to hedge your bet with that. Sure. Well, it was a year where all three did very well for us. So I think that, that combination obviously combined with good management that had the crop primed and ready to, to handle that, that, those good weather events to, to maximize our yields. Um, most of our growers, and we've got numbers that back this up, most of our growers are overcapitalized on grain storage compared to the I-States. Mm -hmm. And that, that's in part because we are, we're having some wetter falls as well, but they'll pull the wheat off and dry it. Yep. And they get it off, gives them a few extra days to put the double crop beans which in. Which is huge, which is huge for soybeans. Yeah. It can be a huge advantage for that. It also allows them to hold the wheat, and then they're selling the wheat. They're deferring that wheat until later in the year to sell it getting better prices for it that way. They're pulling most of their corn off. In fact, quite a few of our farmers that are larger, so that five to 10,000 acre range, they expect to dry 100% of their corn crop. Hmm. Wow. Some of it may only be a point or two, sure. but, but their expectation and their volume, their capacities to handle every bit of their corn crop. I think that's really helped out our yields as well right. and i think that reflects in the overall average yeah. now you, you we talk about yields and what happened you talked about timely rains and yeah. it, it seems like you know and correct me if i'm wrong guys it's happened before it doesn't happen often but i have been wrong before uh <laughs> the, the the rains that we got we we went through a very dry stretch toward the end of our season and it yep. seemed like you know those rain patterns went they, they went right around indiana right up into michigan and then kind of fell back into Ohio and then went right down into Kentucky. It just didn't hit us, and it, it obviously helped them and hindered us. Yep. You know, so when you ask about you know what were we doing, uh, we were missing all of those rains there late. Yeah, well, and then you think about, you know, the middle of the season, how wet we were a lot of the state, not all of it. I mean, four or five, six weeks, we were wet and just uh, cool, wet soils, soybeans that just looked pathetic, and then it turned hot and dry. So I was kidding, Chad, I think that they're just paying the preacher better to get the rainfalls <laughs> when they needed it to get it. Yeah, I think, you know, you look at where what happened with corn in the state of Indiana. You know, we did have a state record yield average this year, but got that central part of the state down the southeastern part of the state did get dry on us. Um, but that southwest corridor, corridor of the state of Indiana down along, you know, the Ohio River, I, you know, talking to those farmers, I've never had meetings with farmers that, you know, were as excited as those farmers were down there. They just had some of the best, talking to guys down there, just had some of the best corn they've ever had, uh, especially down in that far southern kind of bordering with Kentucky down there. And it just was just because of the, 
the timely rainfalls they had this year. But it, but it's not only the yields, but it was also the price that they were getting yeah. with that. I mean, it's one thing to get a good yield and okay, okay price, and a good you go to 2012, mm-hmm. great price, but poor yield, but still very profitable. But you got the combination of high yield and high market price. So I mean, things are looking awfully rosy, and hopefully we can keep that rolling this coming year. Well, they need every bit of that price to pay for this year's nitrogen and everything yeah. else, right? Yeah. Oh, so. you got nitrogen price problems too. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have nitrogen security problems, right? Sure. Just yeah. get, being able to get a hold of it and bring it in may be a bigger challenge for us because we are a, a smaller corn state than you sure. all. Mm-hmm. I mean, when they're shipping out the, the shipments, we're, we're concerned that you'll get them first and then we may or may not get some of them. Yeah, but so you just got challenge. done saying you got half the soil and you're doing nearly as good on the yield. So, I mean, I think you're probably you just a better manager. <laughs> so, I mean, you don't need the nitrogen. You can just figure well, it out, right? Yeah. If we can get everybody to side dress, we'll, we'll be okay this year. So, yeah. on that, I mean, down Kentucky Way, I mean, what what is your primary nitrogen source and, and timing on the so- on the corn side of things? Uh, it's a good question. It depends on where you are in the state. And so, you get over in the area you're talking about, Dan, a lot of that's anhydrous mm-hmm. in that Owensboro-Henderson area, some of it out along the Mississippi River as well, and a fair bit of liquid, and we still have a fair bit of dry that goes on pre-plant mm-hmm. as well. So it's a, it's a mix of all three, and uh, I think we're going to see a little bit of that and then some this year. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, but yes, but when when's the ideal time to apply it? This last four or five years, uh, we have seen, and Dan's research showed this, and, and several others did as well, that the massive benefit if we wait and do a true side dress. So we wait to that V6 put on the majority of the nitrogen somewhere after that and you know Dan's data clearly showed that one you use less overall nitrogen and two you got a higher yield so it was a it was a double whammy in favor of corn production yeah and I think you know we've been I've been kind of preaching this around the state of Indiana this this you know meeting season you know it's just if you can get the bulk of your nitrogen to where that corn needs it, it just spreads your risk of losing it. We're just trying not to lose it all. You put it all up front, you put it in the fall, early spring, it's just more susceptible to being exposed conditions, to rainfall, you know, to really dry conditions or so on, um, the potential to lose it. So just trying to get that nitrogen to where that corn needs it so we're not losing some because losing nitrogen is losing yield, it's losing money. Um, and well, we just well, don't want to have that. Well, maybe out of some of this, uh, the supply issue or delivery may be to the benefit, right? You know, if they don't have it delivered so early, yeah. they're going to be side yeah. dressing a V6 yeah. and hopefully get it across the field and be timely and, and efficient. Like I've heard you say that, Dan, yeah. multiple times, just to be efficient with what yeah. you've got. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's the, <laughs> the message for everything this year is just being efficient sure. with herbicides, with, with fertilizer and so on, and just maximizing that efficiency this year. Um, and that's going to be hard to do because – get everyone the soybean side and everybody's used to doing just roundup 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 yeah, yep, yep, yep. and all of a sudden we don't have the availability of that chemical and now folks yeah. may finally use some residuals that we've been asking so. to for I years hope so. yeah we had you know we had bill johnson yep. on this uh, podcast uh, you know a couple months ago and that was the one of the topics that was brought up you know maybe it might force some guys to they don't have a choice they've got to use some of these residuals that the you know the weed scientists have been preaching for a long time uh, to use some of these well yeah. i think that provides us a great opportunity to be better weed resistant managers i think that's something that bill's yeah. talked about and i dare say that chad you guys have to deal with similar issues of having some herbicide resistant weeds and so i mean would you be in the same boat of saying you know we, we definitely need the residual herbicides and has that been something that you guys have have been using for a while or where have you been at we have been promoting the use of residuals for a while on soys. Um, where it's being used the most is where we have some resistance problems. Sure. 
And sure. so yeah. when the farmers saw the need that they had to switch yep. and forced them into those switches, they did. And I get it because just using one chemical was easy. Hmm. Very, very easy. Um, I, I, I joke that, and Bill could relate to this, that in, in my head I used to have this matrix of probably about 20 different weeds and about 20 different herbicides and soybean, and I could tell you which combinations worked well on which weeds and what the size was and what the weather had to be and which ones you couldn't apply above 90 degrees. All of that kind of worked out in my head so I could give recommendations based off of weed spectrums and fields. I don't know, three or four years of Roundup and I forgot all that, Yeah. right? And yeah. so did anybody else that was around that long. Yep. And as Dan knows, we got a lot of young farmers that were just in Roundup only. Yep. Yeah. So there's, they got to take some time now to learn about those herbicides, figure out what works in their farm and get that set up or they're not going to be efficient. Yeah. And I, you know, I bring up this, you know, for the state of Kentucky, you know, it's where no-till began. No-till is just a huge part of that state. You know, how does those, some of those issues play into the guys with yeah. no-till? Um, well, in, well, in no-till setting one, we, we wouldn't have the yields we had last year without the no-till mm -hmm. and the long-term benefits we've done to building soil structure. Again, we don't have near as much as you, so we've mm -hmm. really got to pr protect the structure of what we've got that's there. Uh, and so we're obviously relying heavily on herbicides mm -hmm. to, to make up that difference for us. Um, and so we, we have found that our overall crop rotation has helped us tremendously. Having wheat in the rotation mm -hmm. has, mm -hmm. we don't have very many herbicide resistant weeds in the areas where we've got wheat in the rotation. Sure. Yeah. It's, that's helped us out in that scenario. We'd argue those 30% of those acres, that's basically a cover crop that a farmer's getting paid for. Sure. We're getting all the benefits yep. and a farmer gets paid for it as well. So that, that helps us out. Keeping in that rotation helps out, but but we've also, and, and so I think our farmers are maybe a little more used to applying some different herbicides, but it's still, it's, yeah. it really is a learning curve for, for most everybody. Yeah. We're here at Commodity Classic in New Orleans, and uh, Chad Lee is with us from the University of Kentucky. And, Chad, I know uh, we had some some major issues with, with your research lab and things uh, down there in Kentucky for the tornadoes. I want to touch on that in a, in a little while. Uh, but first, let's take a quick time out because an Indiana farmer has stopped by the booth. We're going to take a break here and come back with Mike Beard with the Indiana Corn Growers Association. I'm hoping that he has just some real stumpers here that he can throw out at you guys Sounds and, good. and yeah. make you look just absolutely silly. That's yeah. that's the hope. So <laughs> That won't be hard. <laughs> okay, very good. We'll be back right after this. Planting a seed is an act of faith. And even if it makes it to maturity, Mother Nature and markets determine the value, right? Not when you've got your corn and soybean checkoffs. The checkoff is like a little seed coat of protection. It's like planting a penny to grow a dollar. In fact, with investments in research, new uses, and demand creation, we've seen a $12 return to the farm for every soybean checkoff dollar invested. Check out your Indiana checkoffs at yourcheckoff.org. Welcome back to the Purdue Crop Chat Podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, and we're here in New Orleans, Commodity Classic. Thank you to our sponsors, the Indiana Corn and Soy Checkoffs. Uh, we have Mike Beard here. Mike has been on just about every board, uh, Indiana corn, soybean, everything over the years. Um, I, I don't know. He just doesn't get tired. He just keeps doing it. Um, so, so we appreciate Mike stopping by. He was right down the row here, and I told him, I said, let's you know, come on down here and let's really pepper these guys with questions and see what we can get figured out here. Mike, I, I know that this year 
You know, last year, by the way, was great overall for Indiana corn and soybean farmers. Record yields for everybody across the state. Uh, I mean, it, it just was a good year. But now we're running up against a lot of input costs rising and, and everything else. So so let's let's get your take from from the farmer's perspective. What types of things are going to help you this season? What kinds of questions do you have for these guys? Well, actually, I came up here from the Poultry and Egg Export Council, where I sat on that board as well. And uh, they they like to feed chickens uh, soybean meal. That's good. And corn, and they feed them a lot of that stuff. So, uh, and they're not, they've had a pretty good year. We're kind of wondering where they're going with production-wise with avian influenza now. But those 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 uh, uh, those birds bounce back pretty good. So we're going to have it. We're going to have a demand. So. Uh, Speaking of demand, I'm looking at my futures commodity prices and seeing corn and soybeans uh, uh, near all-time highs. Um, I think I I need to stress for highest yield this year, guys. What uh, what do you what do you recommend I look at given the higher higher cost of input? How do I figure out whether corn or soybeans would be the the greatest uh, uh, increase in my bottom line. All right, Dan. Hey, we're all looking at you. Uh, what, what the are we new guy. Say? They put the new guy no, on the spot. I can take it if you want. <laughs> no, I think, you know, we kind of touched on this earlier. It's just the efficiency aspect. You know, corn is, is tough this year because of the way nitrogen fertilizer prices are. Um, you know, they're double push and triple of what they were in the past and the availability of that nitrogen aspect. Um, so getting folks to, you know, use those different application methods to hopefully be as efficient as possible with their nutrients, um, you know, in the fertilizer aspects, you know, again, you know, sampling where you need to, you know, putting on the inputs where you need them and when you need them to get the most basically bang for your buck out of these inputs, whether it be fungicide um, and so on, um, to get the best yield you can get, but also paying attention to not just the maximum yield, but we're trying to get maximum money um, as well. I think that's really important. Mike, with that, I think we're at a, a prime place where there's a lot of opportunities that are being shared, right? And so I think that's the, the tough part, right? You've got these crazy high prices on the market, and yeah. we're coming off on uh, great yields on both corn and soybeans and thinking, let's keep it rolling. And if we get a few more bushels, that means a few more dollars. And I think the one of the biggest things that I get out of this show is, okay, what's opportunities that we have that's on the market, but has it been proven? And so that's what I would really want to stress upon is new products are out here. That's great. Let's make sure that we can explore that in a way that we do we see a difference or not. And so that's one thing I'd really like to share with with you and all the other growers is, okay, if there's a new product, allow the opportunity to have a yes-no comparison. I think it's going to be huge. We st certainly want to build on foundations of what we've we've done with timely planting and, and efficient nitrogen management. But uh, with the new technologies, let's have an opportunity to explore it. Yeah. Well, part of your question was which crop you should grow, and the short answer is both. How about wheat? The, the chickens need, but well, absolutely We're a little late on our, that right In our now. scenario. <laughs> That's right. Can we that's right. No, that's a good follow-up. We, follow we I got know a few farmers going. asking about spring yeah, wheat that, in our that's area. That's where you're so about to go. Yep. You bet. But on the corn and beans, again, we're all agronomists, but the market's telling you it's gonna. You can make a profit off of either one, Agreed. even with the yeah. extremely high input costs. And so the market's telling you to stay in your rotations. Yep. In yep. our scenario, we're you know most of our farms are either corn soy or they're corn wheat, double crop soy, and there's advantages to that rotation long term and. There's no reason to move off of that this year. 
in, in my opinion. And then these guys hit on some other key issues, but another input, extremely valuable input that you alluded to is the litter. If you've got the litter and you've got the yep. ability to put some out on some of your fields, do an analysis, know exactly what you're mm -hmm. putting out there. So mm -hmm. we, some of my counterparts have done studies and shown that average is about as accurate as the average temperature for a year in Indianapolis, Indiana, <laughs> right? Yeah. A little bit of variability around that. My advisor, but it's better than nothing, right? My advisor at Nebraska, first day out in Lincoln, he said, welcome to Lincoln. Our average annual temperature is the same as Honolulu. So, <laughs> so pretty much same kind of weather, right? Yeah, Obviously yeah. we know there's a difference. So get the stuff analyzed, do a pre-side dress nitrate test, get an idea about how much nitrates in those fields. If you can do side dressing, that allows you to fine tune those, those nitrogen application rates, may be able to get away with a little bit less nitrogen based off of what's already provided from that litter in the fields. So I think there's, I think there's plenty of opportunity in that regard. Yeah, yeah, and in terms of, you know, which crop and the price, I mean, the same thing. We, you know, coming into the, the fall and winter, the high price of nitrogen, I was like, oh, man, we're going to have a lot of soybean acres. But then when you start pricing out the market, I was like, yeah. no, it, it can flip and flop with day to day, right? So I, I, I echo what Chad's saying is kind of stay in your lane in that way. Wheat, boy, yeah, a lot of guys like, boy, every now and then I play with wheat. I wish I would have played with it this year, right? And so uh, we were having conversations just yesterday with the extension agronomists across the country and about, well, let's look at spring wheat or not. And it's like, well, that's a tough sale. I mean, it's just really, you know, if you do that, yeah, Bass, I think we we're thinking maybe 60% of a normal winter wheat right. yield level that's right. if you get it to yield. And so there's a lot of caveats with that. Right? And you're, you're pulling in varieties and genetics that just aren't suited to our climate. And so yep. we don't know what kind of diseases we're going to deal with if we bring it in. There's wheat, really good wheat requires really good management and a lot of it. Our, our farmers will wear out the sprayers over the wheat field before they do it in the corn and soy. And, and so there, and there are some challenges there. When you look at the opportunity on corn and soybean, which we know fits well in our yes, system. Yes. Um, I got nothing against somebody trying some wheat for the fun of it and seeing what happens with it. But we've got two crops that at the moment pencil out as a profit. And why not, why not stick with what we know in that scenario? Yeah, and I think one other thing on that subject is, you know, do you have a market for that spring wheat if you were to get it to pull out? And then think about the quality that comes with it. I mean, That's quality true. is huge on wheat, yeah. and so it doesn't yeah. take much to have that go south in a hurry. Yeah, that's, so, a, that's a fair point. Yeah. You're listening to Purdue Crop Chat, brought to you by your Indiana corn and soybean checkoff organizations. Visit yourcheckoff.org. Mike, you got anything else for these guys? Again, I was hoping you'd find a stumper here. You got to stump uh, them. Well, you know, I, I do see the possible scenario with uh, that we might, the earlier harvest crops, uh, earlier harvested corn or, and soybeans will, might fetch a higher premium next year. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's kind of the way I've seen this market perform, especially when, when the export, our, our competing export companies or countries aren't, aren't producing as, as heavily. So which crop, corn, soybeans, maybe wheat doesn't figure in here, uh, do, do I plant which one of you has which which crop has the best varieties in the early early maturing stages 
I think there's a lot of opportunities within yeah. this one on the soybean front. I mean, uh, Dan can speak and mm -hmm. Chad as well. But I mean, the idea of planting soybeans earlier—that's been one that we've been pushing for years. Uh, I'm not saying that's uh, ultra early, but then that that follow-up question is, which maturity group do you plant? And so I think it goes back to your point, Mike. What are you trying to catch? Are you trying to catch old market price and get that value? I think an early planted bean, that's an early maturing bean, is a great great scenario and i think the genetics we have got a lot of good genetics out there with that have the yield potential so i'm not saying do every acre in that way but i think yeah. there's a lot of opportunities there um and certainly whenever we look let's just say uh early may planting and maybe not even super early uh the yield potential of an early maturing line versus mid or full i think it just depends on how that growing season goes so now you throw it mm. on let me push planting a little bit earlier early maturing line i think there's a good good opportunity there on the soy side yeah, I think pretty, you know, pretty similar on the corn front too. Again, that timely planting aspect, you know, getting it in on time. We're we're seeing more of more of a push of guys putting their soybeans in earlier uh, before their corn, uh, but getting in on time and you know playing with those you know those different hybrid maturity groups. You know, we have some. You know, farmers up in northern Indiana, they're even trying, you know, early 90-day, mm -hmm. you know, hybrids to try and catch some of that and, and getting really good yields out of it, too. But it, it probably is dependent on the year and, and so on. But there is some of that potential uh, to look at that as well. I think I would still think about it from the agronomic and logistics aspect of it. Yeah. So if I'm going to put one of these crops in early, either or both, Yeah. think about how it plays out in harvest. Mm -hmm. And so you do... 10 15 percent early and that allows you to get the combine out a few weeks earlier and spread out your your overall load and demand on harvest um, you know i wouldn't go out and do half of my crop early <laughs> and then you're just shifting when that demand takes place well and and in this whether it's corn or soybeans if we're looking for an earlier maturing variety hybrid does it have the package that can handle our conditions so yeah, what i mean exactly. by that i mean especially if you go like a 90-day corn that's yeah. pretty short yeah and so does it have the same disease resistant package yep. you know whether yeah. that's gray leaf spot or we got tar spot coming in yeah uh, and then certainly on the soybean side we have similar issues so uh, well i think one one nice thing about it if you look at the corn this is the one time i'm going to give corn a little <laughs> bit of props because it's easier to predict when it's going to hit the growth stages so yeah. i mean it's a backhanded compliment dan yeah. so that you know you can come at this and have okay how many heat units do i need to get that crop mature and here's my typical planting date and we've got tools out there whereas soybeans it's a combination of photo period and heat units and a little bit of what's the rainfall like in the later season whether it's going to mature or not so if we're trying to plan out of the two crops maybe you have a little bit better idea okay if i plant that corn on yeah. april 15th here's my typical weather pattern this is when it's going to mature yeah and i think the importance what sean one thing sean says you know it has to work in the certain conditions and it has to perform in the fields and it has to perform well you know weighing you know what potential yield loss you're going to get if you go move towards a earlier maturing hybrid or when that's potentially going to you know, impact harvest. Um, so not switching your entire farm um, to early maturing hybrids, but maybe you play, you know, play with some early maturing hybrids and maybe try to stagger it out. Kind of what, what Chad said, maybe you can help with some of that harvest aspect as well. Well, I've, I've got a question for both corn agronomists here, right? So I got two I can hit on this one. Yeah. So if you, you, you shorten up a hybrid, so you go ultra early 90 day hybrid, whatever it is, mm -hmm. does the management change at all for you guys? You know, do you look at anything different in seeding rate? Do you look at anything different in nitrogen rates or anything else? The, the short answer is no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because a lot of your management, even if we do a side dress at V6, You've done most of your management by V6. Sure. Anything left is to scout and possibly put on a fungicide or insecticide later, yep. yeah. somewhere around R1 or, or, or sometimes later. 
And so that number changes, yep. right? Yeah. If you're putting in that early corn and if you've sort of got a schedule in your mind of when you're going to scout, you pay attention to that. And you're also paying attention to dry down. Um, for us, if we put in something very early, it's going to hit a pretty hot part of our, we're starting to cut corn normally somewhere in August anyhow. That's corn, it's high 20s. But that's what we're, that's what we're targeting for quote a full season corn. And so if you're, if you're going to have it hit the dry down even sooner, it may dry down quicker in the field that way. Whereas um, once you get into October or even November for dry down, it just stretches yeah. it out so yeah, much farther. I'll make a comment. You know, I don't think for the most part the management doesn't change, but, you know, we're um, working with Darcy uh, Telenko this year where we're just putting in studies this year, you know, from a tar spot aspect. Sure. You know, so some of those diseases might come in late. Um, so is there there actually some of that potential to maybe plant a little bit earlier? We have a little bit earlier, you know, maturing hybrid. Maybe to we can kind of avoid yeah. some of that tar spot aspect that comes in late. Yeah. Um, so maybe from that disease aspect, you know, depending on, you know, that's big on when that disease comes in, what growth stage that crop is at, you know, and, and making those uh, decisions on fungicide applications. So. I think we have to let Mike go, right? You, you've got somewhere else you need. Oh, you've got, he's oh, got good, one good. more question. He's got one okay. for you, Eric. All right, that's no, what. <laughs> actually, uh, you mentioned, Dan, you mentioned Darcy's, uh, Darcy Talenko's uh, tar spot study. That was that was funded in part by Indiana's corn checkoff, and he just, just didn't want to didn't want to mess a chance to uh, get a commercial Absolutely. in there. Absolutely. Well, since, and, since you're giving commercials, the Kentucky corn growers, paid for Dan's research in Kentucky as well. So yep. if, if it wasn't for them, you wouldn't have got him in that deal. Yeah, so it, yeah. In all seriousness, we, we can't do the applied research we yeah. try to do without without our yeah. corn and soybean growers. Yeah, and I was, my first grant as a faculty member at Purdue was funded by Indiana Corn, and I was able to get a student on that. So I'm really, really fortunate, and we're very glad to be able to work yeah, with great the support all boards. Yep. Yeah, I, like I said, Mike has to go. I'm, I'm looking to see Mike looking to see how big Mike's rear end is because he sits on so many boards. Um, that seems kind of personal just, there, Eric. He, he, Man, he there's, just, there's a lot of backhanded compliments he in just, this group. He just told us about another board he sits on, the you know, pork bowl. I mean, gosh, how many? How much time do you have, Mike? My goodness. Well, I'll tell you. I, I just finished a virtual meeting with, with Carrot. Uh-huh. Uh, the Council for Ag- Agriculture Research, Education, and Teaching, uh, where we lobbied the legislators for uh, Hatch-, Hatch Act funding mm-hmm. as well as other funding that, that enables the base salaries for or mm-hmm. base, uh, uh, yeah, salaries. I'm going to say for these fellas uh, directly and for ag-, ag experiment stations. We yeah. just, uh, I did that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday this week virtually. I'd love to been in D.C. with with Dean Plout and the rest of the crew, but, uh, well, we thank you. We you like just, being paid. So I appreciate that. Well, I like having you guys around. I think you do a terrific job. Thank, thank you, Mike. Thank appreciate you, Mike. it. Yeah. Appreciate it. We appreciate the support from the Indiana corn and soybean checkoffs. Uh, our, our time is running a bit short here on uh, the Purdue crop chat podcast. Again, we've got Chad Lee with us here from university of Kentucky and, uh, Chad, let's, let's circle back here. We've, we've had a lot of fun here on this podcast. We like to keep it light. Uh, but you've been facing some pretty serious issues down your way um, yes. with with the tornadoes that, that rolled through your area. It, uh, from what I understand, basically took out your research lab, right? It did. So we have a research and education center based in Princeton in western Kentucky. It's about 1,700 acres. We had 
have about 60 to 70 people that work there on a regular basis, plus summer student help and such. Um, and that tornado came across the farm and was essentially a half mile wide on the farm, on our station. Took out 35 buildings or so all the way through. Uh, some houses, our main building that had our offices, labs, meeting room space. That we just cut a ribbon on that in 2019. Yeah. So it was it was very fresh in that regard. Uh, seven seven people that work at the station lost their homes. Thankfully, nobody. We we didn't lose any lives, and that's that's what we're most thankful for and appreciative of. Um, we lost about 10 cattle out of the research herd, uh, and so anything. Anyhow, we are still in the process of cleaning up. We have debris over the entire acreage of the farm. That's got to be picked up by hand because you're talking about things that are the size of a quarter, maybe a silver dollar with a nail in it that you've got to get out of the field. Uh, it's got to come out of the pasture fields for the cattle. It's got to come out of all the row crop fields, all of the winter wheat studies that we had, some of the other, the rye and other studies we're doing as well. So we're doing all of that. We're, we're going to bring in temporary offices. The good news is, is that we are insured at cost with a private insurance firm and so that'll get taken care of it's just going to be a it's going to be a while getting through the process mm-hmm. chad how how does this and we've we talked about it and we've talked about it over the months uh, with the research farm there i'm curious uh, like the pickup on the fields for the research how is that with your farmers in the area too i mean uh, what kind of situation are they in with that they're in the exact same situation we are so we have a neighbor just downwind from us if you will that mm-hmm. um Princeton itself lost about 150 houses, and most of that was before it came to us. So his fields got it worse than we got it because of, sure. the, of the debris pile. Um, and that goes for, what is it, 150 miles or so through Kentucky. Uh, tremendous amount of cattle fencing that's lost. We, mm-hmm. We've replaced nine miles of fencing so far on our wow. farm, and that's all exterior fencing. Um, and that's just everywhere. Sure. And cattle that are missing. And, and people trying to get their herd straightened out and figure out some of that. So it's, it is, we lost a, a 5 million bin capacity, 5 million bushel bin capacity grain storage over Mayfield that mm. you probably all saw on the news. And so several commercial elevators were hit. A lot of farms were hit. One of the farmers in our area said they had $600,000 worth of damage and felt like the storm missed them. Wow. wow. And it gives you some perspective on what we're dealing with. It's, it's it where it went it was absolutely devastating now our friends and neighbors have rallied and helped us out they they hauled water for a couple of days until we could get power back into the pump house for the cattle they've helped clean stuff up they've they brought in equipment people bought food people bought packs and packs of leather work gloves just you name it that folks have done that volunteering to help come clean up and you know walk a field for a day and pick up debris and so we've been overwhelmed by by the generosity of of a lot of the people that we serve on a regular basis st- stepping up and, and helping us out with that. So we appreciate that. We think, the good news is, is we think we're going to get most of our corn and soybean research that we intended to do done this spring. Good. And so that's that's encouraging. Our next challenge will be getting a couple plot combines mm-hmm. so we get it harvested in the fall. Yeah. Well, uh, I know that there were many in southern Indiana that wanted to, to contribute and go down there and help out as well. So, I mean, just... Um, you know, a, a devastating situation, but but again, you mentioned you know the, no lives lost. That's that's what matters, and 
you know, we've been thinking about you guys and talking about. It. I know we we mentioned it on the on this podcast yeah. a, a little while back as well. Um, so, and as I understand it, there there are still efforts underway to help some of those farmers down there. I think what Kentucky Farm Bureau is still doing some things K- to help out down Kentucky there. Kentucky Farm Bureau, and they're coordinating with our county extension offices in each of the counties, and using those as hubs. And so they've they've been able to, to get a lot of help where it's needed, um, when it's needed, and that's that's been a really good program, and, and a tremendous amount of help from that. People from all over the U.S. have contributed to that. So very good. Well, uh, gentlemen, let's let's look to wrap up here. It's uh, you know Commodity Classic, New Orleans. We got flights to catch. We got to get back to Indiana and Kentucky. Uh, just some final thoughts here, as you know, planting season is rapidly approaching here. Dan, what are yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, I think I've been kind of stressing with some of the meetings I've done recently. Is is just um, you know chase conditions, not calendar date when it comes to corn. Um, you know, don't just plant to plant. Um, you know, and you can run in a lot of different issues on that aspect. Um, but planting's cl- coming. You know, what was it a week or so ago? It was the 70 degrees. I guarantee there was guys that were backing the planter out of the shed just to get their neighbors riled up. Um, but yeah, just chase those conditions. Make sure you're planting in really good conditions instead of trying to shoot for just a straight calendar date. I think that's that's really important when it comes to planting. John. Yeah, I think as we get some of the seeds again delivered, uh, I'd really want people to stress looking at that, that seed, look at the tag. We had some dry conditions during seed fill. Haven't heard any issues yet, but I'd really want everyone to be doing their homework, make sure they know what they've got in the bag. So then as they prepare to plant, if they need to adjust seeding rates for viability issues, uh, if there's, you know, ask for a cool germ score just to, to be ready for that. And then uh, also, again, we're, we're here wrapped around a lot of technology a lot of products so if there's something out there that's being offered to you that's fine that that's making an opportunity to learn from it so to put some untreated strips out there and and build upon yeah. that yeah and chad i'll let you weigh in here too any tips as we get set for planting season sure. here sure I, well i think dan hit it on the head with corn and being being more concerned about conditions than the actual planting date and it's been a big challenge the last three years because our springs have been so wet yeah. and farmers watch those days tick by and feel like they're losing potential. Um, but especially with corn, if you start off poorly, you're not going to finish well. Yeah. You've got to start well to finish well in corn. Beans are more forgiving in that scenario, a little more flexible. I don't know if it's forgiving or they're just better in that, right? <laughs> no, come on. You know, flex their muscles. I mean, come on now. <laughs> no adaptable you're right they, they are much more adaptable that way and, yes. and then and i'll reiterate what sean said a lot of new things being targeted toward farmers a lot of things that will potentially cost you less per acre but do they actually get you more per acre and yeah. if you don't do some sort of a strip out there a, a side by side on the plant split a planter in half try it on half and not the other if you don't do a couple of those things in your operation, you never really know if those things benefited you. Yeah. We've had really good weather through August, uh, July and August for the last 10 years. That's extremely favorable for us to be aggressive on managing the crop. It's hard to know if anything else we've done new mm-hmm. has helped us or if we've just benefited from good weather and just good overall management. So it's worth, it's worth your time and it's definitely worth your wallet to put some strips out. Yeah. All right, guys, 
go hit Bourbon Street. Yeah, that's where you're headed next, right? Uh, <laughs> no, sir. No? Oh, no, okay. Of course not. I, no. I know okay. where the source is. <laughs> <laughs> Corn eggs, whiskey, what? <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch up with the two of you back in Indiana if, if you'll stop avoiding me in the greater Lafayette area. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Thanks, guys. This has been Purdue Crop Chat, a regular series featuring Purdue Extension's Dr. Dan Quinn and Dr. Sean Castile, made possible by the Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoffs, the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, and the Indiana Soybean Alliance. The checkoffs are pleased to help bring you agronomy insights from Purdue Extension. Purdue Crop Chat, a service of Purdue University Extension, and Hoosier Ag Today, timely, relevant, credible.